Here he is. Hello, mate. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. Hello and welcome to the Hit in the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and as usual, my co-host, Richard Kyson. Evening, Jambo. You okay, mate? Very good, buddy. Very good. So, we are flying through these episodes. Um, and again, another absolute cracker today. We've got Pete Kuig. Uh, if you want to explain a little bit more about what Pete does at Wickham yeah. Football Club. Yeah, so for those that don't know, Pete Kuig is the COO and CFO of Wickham Wanderers Football Club. Um, his uncle, Rob Kuig, is the owner. Um, and obviously, Pete looks after everything under the under the sort of club umbrella, um, from sort of match days to to players, uh, to everything, everything you can imagine. And this is why we got him on. Um, we wanted to get someone who who has got that sort of role in in the game. Um, you know, it's not often you get to speak to this sort of person no. at, at, at a championship level club. So we wanted to get him on. We can hear his story. Uh, he is American. Um, they come over a couple of years ago into the English game. Very successful businessman in their own right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I, yeah, it, it is something that the average football fan is not going to know the ins and outs and the daily jobs of a CFO or a CEO of a football club. Yeah, just enjoy. So let's get, we get involved. Yeah, let's do it. Hi, and today we've got Pete Kuig. Pete Kuig is the CFO and COO of Wickham Wanderers Football Club. How are you, Pete? Pretty good, my man. How are you? Very good, thank you. And I've got Big Rich with me. You know Big Rich. Evening, Pete. Yeah. How you doing, Richard? Yeah, I'm good, pal. Cheers. Yeah, good. Um, Pete, first up, um, how do you get to buying Wickham Wanderers Football Club? <laughs> uh, you know, it takes a pretty crazy combination of, of events, I would say. Um, first, it's not really out of the blue for um, the type of entrepreneurial family that that I come from. Um, you know, obviously, I'm doing this this with uh, Rob, uh, who is my uncle. It's it's actually the first deal I've ever done with with Rob. Um, but, uh, I've always been partners with my dad. We've done startup and growth businesses, uh, for 20, 25 years from, um, either an, you know, an investment angle or founding our own company. Um, so we've always, and we've always done, uh, pretty crazy stuff. And, um, so, uh, you know, Rob, uh, owned a triple A baseball team in America for about 10 years. Uh, was very successful with that. Uh, you know, uh, when the team first played in New Orleans, they played at a very small park that was uh, not adequate for AAA baseball, which is basically championship level uh, football uh, mm -hmm. for comparison. And so uh, they ended up building a stadium. Uh, Rob was very active with minor league baseball, uh, the organization. Um, they brought back the AAA uh, 
championship they call it the world series in baseball uh yeah. you know <laughs> and so and they brought back the triple a world series you know one of the se- one of the seasons rob's team the new orleans zephyrs won it uh and so he had a uh and but he's a lawyer by trade and that was just kind of a side gig that he had going on uh because he's very active in um in all different kinds of stuff he's uh and that was just one of the things that he had done and so um and that was probably that was mid 90s to mid like maybe 2005 2006 uh uh my dad and i uh worked together the whole time um uh, probably about 10 15 years ago we we decided to start our own business based on um something that we had been looking at for quite some time uh we <laughs> that business grew from zero to it was one of the top I think uh, third year in, first year eligible, we were one of the top 300 fastest growing businesses in America. And um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was one of those things that um, we thought it was a good idea. We went about it in a certain way, uh, which was very different to how anybody, it was a pretty early, early stage industry. Uh, and we just went about it in a different way that everybody else was doing it and it, and it worked. Um, and so we built that company very quickly. Uh, I was in a kind of a crazy situation where, uh, you know, mid forties, um, we had capital partners that every time we turned around, they wanted to buy more of the company. And I was just at one point offered, uh, my, a, a deal that was too good to turn down because it allowed me to do something, um, that I always wanted to do, which was, uh, I've studied all kinds of, I've probably read hundreds of business biographies. And one of the things that they all say is that, uh, if they could do anything different, it would be spend more time with their kids. And, uh, so, uh, I sold my business and basically had a midlife retirement and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I had always coached my kids, but just had more time to spend with them. Um, and it was, uh, it, my wife and I had a piece of property in the country that needed a lot of work done on the property in the house and was able to do that and just kind of have a, I'd been working very, very hard for 20, 25 years. And so it was nice to be able to uh, kick back uh, and um, spend a lot of time with family and think about what to do next. And uh, one of the things that I, had always <laughs> interested me was uh, English football. And, you know, just kind of not randomly, uh, it was at a Thanksgiving um, uh, celebration, which always happens at my dad's place. And uh, we, we have a lot of people in our family and Rob and dad and I, you know, and a few of the guys, we were just sitting around talking. And, uh, you know, when everybody's cousin, nephew retires in their mid 40s, there's a lot of questions and they <laughs> asked me what I wanted to do next. And I said, I'd been watching a lot of league one, league two English football, uh, thinking about, uh, doing something like that. Uh, you know, it was just something I, it was, it was weird, you know, because I didn't think anything of the conversation until a couple of years later when, Rob out of the blue called and said, Hey, I found our football club. <laughs> and, uh, and to those know, listeners, that was Yeovil at first, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was. And it was pretty early in the process with Yeovil because that kind of got dragged out, uh, you know, over and, you know, nearly a whole, you know, half a season for sure. Um, and uh, I think uh, this is actually very close to the two year anniversary of the due diligence trip I took to Yeovil, um, which was, I remember the only day off I had in the 11 days I was over here was March 17th and it was St. Patrick's Day and I went to the Liverpool match at Everton at uh no at uh Craven Cottage um (laughs) yeah and uh so so um you know that deal kind of fell apart uh for whatever reason um but it had kind of gotten public that that uh Rob was interested we were interested um, and then once the deal fell apart, um, there were just a few calls, uh, people, you know, once you start digging around the, the clubs that need money, start, you know, contacting you. Um, and we, so, we were going to say just on that, like, because obviously clubs, they're not like, you know, it's not like a website where it says all, all of these clubs are for sale. Um, no, yeah. How does that come about? How well, honestly, I think, uh, really, every so we probably talked to five or six different clubs, and I think it's just because if you read the newspapers, if you follow the game, um, very tightly, uh, you know, your name kind of leaks in the papers, and, and people that are interested find out, uh, and you know, realistically, every year there are clubs that are in trouble in English football that are looking for capital sources. And so um, if you start poking around, even, you know, it was just kind of the reverse process. Um, there were a few clubs that we just, we had discussions with, um, uh, but once Wickham entered the picture, it, it really checked off a lot of the boxes for us. And, and you know, we went after it pretty hard. Um, and uh, actually thought we had didn't get the deal for a, for maybe a week, um, five to seven days, which we had no idea why uh, they came back to us until uh, there was an article in the Athletic. Do you remember that one? When it came was out this the was this the other bidder or the so called bidder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, man, um, hard, trying hard to remember. Uh, it was Dirk Kite. Uh, oh yeah, Bird Camp, Bird Camp, yeah, yeah, yeah. or supposedly, yeah, who knows? Allegedly, yeah, exactly, is yeah. the term you're supposed to use here. Uh, but it was right before the the trust vote, which was we had already, you know, one of the reasons we got called and we, we got chosen was uh, the club needed money to stay out of administration, and so we had shown that commitment, you know, verbally and in, in a written offer. And basically got the call that said, you know, if you can get here within a few days and make sure we stay out of administration, you've got the deal. Wow. And so, uh, but it was still risky, as, you know, it was very risky. We had to get 75% vote uh, from the trust members, uh, you know, and we basically had no control, although I was here um mark was involved and rob was you know un you know all over it like so we were very active but it was still 
from a situation where according to the rules, we didn't have any power, uh, but it was our money that, you know, it, it, we had to, we had to put some cheese up to keep the club out of administration while we made a go yeah. of it uh, last year. Uh, How complicated which, is all the, all the sort of negotiating? Because obviously to the regular fan, they think it's just X comes along and pays X for the club and they own it. But there must've been so much paperwork, so many things to go through to, you know, for that sort of purchase to go through. Yeah. You know, um, uh, to me, because of the size of this uh, of this business, but I it, it has less to do with the size of the business. But the size of the business, it's a small business, and it was extremely complicated uh, considering the scale. Um, but it's understandable because it is a supporters trust owned group that we were buying seventy five percent of. Uh, there are. Uh, you know, this business is 134 years old. And so there, is, there are legacy business structures that are still in play uh, that, you know, we knew what we were getting into. and We knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, and it's why, but it is also why it took longer than everybody, you know, even though it, it happened quicker, I think, than most people thought at the beginning at a certain point, people were wondering why it was taking so long, <laughs> which was kind of funny <laughs> to me. <laughs> so you bought Wickham. Um, you've, you've sort of took over this club that was on the verge of administration. What sort of things do you come in and put in straight away to try and, um, you know, stop the boat from leaking? Well, uh that, that's an interesting way you put it because we sort of think about it uh, in a different way. Um, uh, my dad, uh, so through our capital company, man, we've been, we've been involved. We, we had, we, we've been involved in lending and investing in hundreds of companies and, and have learned a lot of lessons. And one of the things when you take over a business like this, which is, there's no other way to put it failing com on the commercial side of this business. Um, you know, if you're spending more money than you, than you make, uh, you're losing. And, and so one of the theories is rather than uh, the boat is we look for leaky faucets that we can stick buckets under. Um, and, and uh, <laughs> so, you know, that first, few months it was about and, and it was kind of easy because we didn't really have any power but it was you know I was sitting in meetings having discussions with everybody really getting to know the business how it was run uh asking questions um which led to some tough answers uh but um just really figuring out where the leaky faucets were and, you know, thinking about the methodical approach to prioritizing, uh, putting the buckets under the easiest short-term fixes and figuring out what the long-term fixes were uh, and planning for those accordingly. Brilliant. Jan Bacon. I wasn't going to say anything, Rich. I was waiting okay, for you to no, say it, but it's fine. fine. It's fine. I'll, um, I, I'll go I, on, I'll go on. 
Go on, you crack so, on, mate. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm listening intently. Yeah. In that first... So, hang on. Let me just stop and then we... Yeah, yeah. We can just cut that. Brilliant, Pete. So, in that in that sort of first season, um, were you getting knocks on the door from Gareth saying, you know, can we have some more money, please, to sign some more, more players to, you know, because we might be able to go for promotion? Uh, you know, um, Gareth had been so constrained for so long, um, going in at the beginning of the year and especially considering where he was at when we walked in the door and saying, uh, by the way, you, you can have your budget back from, because that was, that was actually a tremendous increase from, if you think about where he was on July 1st, thinking, mm. how am I going to put together a team for this much money versus a few days later, somebody saying, look, the money that you had last year, uh, you've got again, put together a good team. Um, Are you able to so, talk sums? Are you able to talk figures or? Yeah, I mean, well, they're known. Um, yeah, you know, whatever it was. And honestly, I've been working on forward-looking figures for so long. The historical ones of last year are a little bit, you know, hazier. But um, it, was, it, it was like maybe his budget at, before we walked in the door. And remember, they're probably going to administration. He was told that he got, I think it was like 1.1, 1.2 maybe. And when we walked in the door, yeah, exactly. And the previous year, I think, was 2, 2.1. Um, and we said, look, he, and Rob, Rob said, if you put you, you know, you at least have that much money, you know, to, to spend in the summer, put together what kind of squad you can do. Um, and, man, he did magic. Uh, Incredible. And uh, it was... Um, and so, you know, to answer your question, I think just that early investment in Gareth and what mattered most for last season, which was players, uh, it, you know, it, it, and he was focused on points. So the other stuff, knocking on the door constantly, no, Gareth is not like that type of person. Um, he understood, uh, especially considering the constraints that we are under, which was, you know, until February, uh, yeah, we were supporting the club by loaning money and before we owned it. But there wasn't, it wasn't like it, we could say yes to unlimited things. Last year was, was uh, you know, very constrained financial um, circumstances until we owned the club. Uh, and in, so that was February and then COVID happened, which uh, was, you know, made us even tight, you know, tighten the ship even further. I suppose w what you did in that sort of first, first sort of spell after the takeover um, and, and, you know, sort of putting that budget back for gas, that's, that's sort of looking after your main asset. Um, would you look at Gareth as it's like the main asset for the club. Well, it was one one of the things that attracted us about Wickham was, uh, you know, the football was sorted. The football side of operations was sorted. They, uh, you know, always outperformed their budget. Uh, 
you know, and it felt like if we gave Gareth a budget like that, and we all we asked for was don't make us nervous next May about relegation. Mm. And so, um, I mean, they ripped, they got so many points early on that it was just like they're, and Rob and I are both very optimistic, very confident people as well. Um, and so it was just, it went so quickly from, being looking at the 442 column where we're being picked to finish dead last yeah. to being top of the table like sept late September October yeah. I mean and then just uh we were winning that you know nothing nothing feels as good as winning three points um and so it was just there was just very natural positive momentum that kept happening on and off the pitch all year long last year yeah, I mean, there was that belief, wasn't there? Everyone's heard of the belief in the in in the sort of Wickham changing room. Which, it's easy. Which... Look, it's easy. It's easy when you're winning, but uh, this year it's been tested beyond belief. Pun intended, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and you know that's why I've never lost the faith because if you see what how the boys train, if you see how the efforts, uh, you know, there. Um, and you just see the the small couple of errors that they just get punished in the championship and you understand the the you know how perfect we have to be in order to get off pull off results like Preston but knowing it's there because we've been in every match uh and really getting unlucky to a certain extent um uh during the <laughs> tough times is when belief is tested and you know so it's been very very awesome to watch that never really fade this year even though uh god knows it's been trying just just going back to the sort of budget things what was what was the playoff final win worth to the club are you allowed to share that roughly uh you know it's one of those things where it's always been an estimate with a COVID variance. Yeah. So honestly, uh, you know, um, uh, what was it worth? Uh, basically almost tripled or quadrupled, you know, the, the automatic money you get through the EFL. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, what is our shortfall? Do I think this year because of COVID probably 5 million pounds, wow. you know, uh, it, it, it makes, and if this, this, this should make sense, um, you know, clubs with uh, our size of a supporter base, um, when you go up to the championship, yeah, it's a good bump in money. But if you also factor in the additional bump in money from full stadium every time versus what you've done in previous seasons, you know, we're really looking at uh, easily a four to five million pound difference. Wow. Yes, that's a huge hit for, you know, for a sort of like club like Wickham. If Wickham do go down, if that experience is, is going to count for so much, is, is it going to be another bounce back? Is, is that what you'd be looking at next season in the event that Wickham are relegated? Uh, 
you know. Sorry to put you on an if, but some maybe. Sorry. <laughs> no, and and, and, and I'll, I'll speak about it from the way that I think about it, and the way that you know I I have tried to force people to think about it. And let me say this: I don't. I we're prepared either way, and it's because before we knew last year what league we were going to going to be in, we we. I, I, I've said it quite a bit that I think in scenarios, and I do, um, and it's because I've always dealt with growth businesses that always dealt with critical junction points that allowed this level of growth versus that level of growth, and 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 so I think about things from a CFO perspective uh, when I think about planning for not just next year but the next year especially in a, in an environment like this where, yeah. where you're dealing with, you know, let's say 18 to 25 multi-year contracts and how they relate to a depth chart. Um, and so one of the benefits of not having any matches in March and April um, was Gareth and Rob and I spent a tremendous uh, amount of time and Gareth and I, Gareth probably spent more time looking at spreadsheets in that March and April, you know, and I was in the way that I was, you know, and so it, it was to me, it was easy because I've always had to do projections based on a lot more variables than 18 to 24 contracts. Right. And mm -hmm. so uh, and the way that they that that actually Gareth had tracked his player budgets historically uh, was an unbelievably good basis for um, a little tweaking where, you know, it was something that he was it was in the in the form that he was used to looking at. Uh, but I tweaked it to, you know, sort of look at next year and years beyond, depending on how long the contracts were based on multiple scenarios. And so we were able to, to just because it was before we knew what was going to happen with the previous yeah. year, it was before uh, any type of, you know, there was a few months where nothing was going on and we were just spending, a, uh, you know, I was just picking his brain about how he looked at all of those contracts, how they worked together because he was, you know, it was a situation where, the Wickham could basically tell him um, we need the budget to come in at 1.8 or one point, whatever it was. And he could come in at that budget, uh, which considering the amount of negotiations that have to take place um, and the number of pieces that you have to put together is, is pretty freaking amazing considering mm. he's also managing the football team as mm. well um and so that, that's really yeah. old school management and it oh, rich, yeah. that that like yeah. compared to what you get these days in terms of just like head coaches and stuff like that that is that's sir alex ferguson arson yeah. wenger mold of managing that is controlling absolutely everything that's, writing on that's... the back of a fag packet let me say this and one of the things that i've tried very hard and and he didn't do that uh you know man he was putting together Excel spreadsheets uh, and, um, you know, it, 
a lot of this stuff is one of the reasons why I know Gareth is underestimated um, publicly mm -hmm. because all the viewing public ever pays attention to is what, a, you know, mm -hmm. the media. <laughs> um, but the way that we looked at lat this year was we had a game plan based on what happened through in late, you know, in June and early July, up or down, uh, which also had three different scenarios the subsequent year. And so as we rolled into this year, it was a continuation of that original plan where we're prepared either way. Uh, and frankly, we've made such progress that uh, one of the, we made such progress that I believe still we can do it by winning enough points to stay up. But the secondary side of that scenario is we have also improved as a squad with contracted players going into next year uh, where we will be a very competitive side. Yeah. Um, and I think our performances all year in the championship, you know, is it the toughest, one of the toughest leagues in the world? Yeah, it is. And oh. I have actually, one of the things that's been awesome is uh, I do not get as frustrated with, one nil losses or nil nil draws in the championship as I think our fans do because I just see the long-term improvement of what we are producing on the on the pitch and a one nil loss or a, a, a freaking draw against Watford where we were robbed mm. of yeah. three points to me there is um, you know, I just see those, they're not yeah. incremental gains, they're long-term gains. So Pete, Rich will tell you this, this is exactly the way I look at football. Um, obviously I'm a head coach as well. So I, so I watch football slightly different to the average football fan. So the way I put it, you get your season ticket holders that literally just concentrate on one team and, and, you know, they're, they're a fan of that football club and they really care about it. it's the results. They don't really know what goes on behind scenes and stuff like that. But And they, the, don't, the and that, they don't, and they can't even name the guy that plays the sixth yeah. of their team. Or, or spell, <laughs> spell it correctly, yeah. So, I, I, you know, there's times where I've I've written in forums and stuff like that and just said, you know, trust the process and, and the, the gaining of experience is just as valuable as... As, as anything this season um and and trust, that's where my belief comes from that exact statement trust the process and the results yeah. will happen i can only ever see this getting this is the this is one even if there was relegation it's still the best thing to ever happen to wickham wanderers it will increase the football club so much um i mean probably more quicker than well, you guys probably I'd Honestly, ever thought, I would have thought. Uh, it provided stability in the most turbulent year in football. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I am, we took a calculated risk. Uh, we knew with the budget that we approved for this year, uh, it would be unbelievably difficult to compete. Uh, but we also believed that the guys that we had would give us as good a chance as any 
So the, one of the thoughts that we had about the different ways we could approach in March or in early April was, okay, if, you know, cause we had a number of guys uh, budget, it, it, we had a number of guys under contract for the next year uh, that were gonna be at a certain wage because they had championship rise clauses, right? And so okay. that gave us a certain level. And I said, okay, if we spend this much and basically, you know, put us in a situation where, so the guys, it, it was a lot of guys that were under contract for the next year. So we didn't have much space, right? So in order to spend, you know, even the second lowest budget in the championship, we would have had to pay a lot of dude, quite a few dudes to walk into that changing room that made more money than everybody that earned the right to play in the championship. Yep. And so we actually thought that if we, one of the thoughts was that they kind of led us to having the gumption to go with it, with the budget that we did and looking for players that would challenge the first 11, uh, that would improve the squad, that would give us a pretty good chance at staying, a continued pretty good chance at staying up uh, versus spending five million pounds on four new dudes which would double our budget what did we how many more points did we think that would get us and oh, yeah. and 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 we really uh we thought we might get less if that happened because it would disturb what is special about wickham which is the changing room um yeah. and one of the things about our changing room and it's not just the that side, everybody that works at Wickham Wanderers makes less than they would at another club. And it's because we have uh, a very tightly run club uh, that creates a pretty special environment, be probably because of that. And it's because we're, you know, the, the roots of this club are, it's a people's club. And so we're support, you know, our supporters own, the trust is still our partners. And so, yeah. Um, and we are, we are committed to running sustainably. And so uh, it's what we ask of people. And it's almost like the last psychological test that you have to pass in order to be a part of Wickham Wanderers is, are you willing to accept less money? <laughs> some people aren't and some people aren't. And, and so um, what we found is that uh, there's a lot more happy people a greater percentage of happy people at Wickham Wanderers than there are at most football clubs. And that leads to, you know, out kicking your coverage. hundred percent, hundred percent. Just by talking to Stocko the other week, the way he talks and the way he says, oh, it's only, you know, that was a stroke of genius, that signing uh, to bring him back in, I think, mm. because he's such a, a big personality in that dressing room. Um, and you just need players like that. I mean, just, just, just talking to him about, the playoff games and about how, you know, he was one of the instigators in, in shouting at the players and stuff like that and, and getting, you know, getting off the subs bench and going down to the touchline and literally just shouting encouragement from the first minute, you know, and he's got the linesman talks at saying, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, so it, yeah, it's just some key, like the character, the characters inside that dressing room is probably something Gareth looks for. And you probably tell me that. 
but that you know character in in football is, is such a is such a massive thing these days and you know the odd bad egg you bring in say you say Wickham went and bought in a two million pound player right and you know he ends up doing not very well for a two million pound player you don't get value for it he's on bigger wages than everyone else how much that's going to destroy that team harmony within that dressing room, you know, just because you've signed him for two million. It, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, the, the way I think Wickham have gone no, about it's, it's, it is spot on. It is spot yeah. on in my opinion, but you know, I don't run a football club. <laughs> well, I mean, to be completely honest, uh, I hope the gamble pays off, but we are, uh, <laughs> you know, we're behind the eight ball right now, but it's like I mm. said, you know, um, I, I trust the process and I believe the results will come either short term or long term. Um, I, I'll tell you this, man. I, I, I can't, I, like, honestly, I burst with I, the accomplishment of staying up in the championship this year. Uh, we said it at the beginning of the year would be a greater accomplishment than, 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 promotion last year uh because of the challenge we put in front of ourselves and so to to i mean what is it middle of march and we're not out of it i guarantee you there are that 80 percent of english football fans thought by march 15th there would be an r next to wickham's name and we would have the lowest post points total in the history of the championship and we don't we're sitting on 26 and we have a legitimate shot if we go on a run to survive. And so the fact that we've given ourselves a chance with a month and a half left to go, and there is the possibility that our boys write the story that they win enough points to stay up in the championship this year. I believe it at this point, you know, after knowing all those guys in that changing room. So um, do you think that you'd be on more than 26 if we'd have had fans all season? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, because I, you know, I think a lot of the championship clubs are used to going to places where they get a ton of, uh, you know, away fans traveling with them. Um, and I think it would have been 80, 20 us this year. Obviously they still would have, maybe I would have had to do some shenanigans and switch the sides where they got the, the terrace in. Yeah. Uh, and we got the. I've always said in. that, Pete. Pete, I've always said that, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? If I ever did that, I think people would, uh, uh, you know, I know uh, Delaney Hanson would have me hung, you know, from a tree and running. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I, I think, obviously, uh, it, probably from a police point of view as well, it's probably not as. Uh... No, and I got to tell you this I love the terrace. Uh, I wouldn't do it, but I think we would have drowned him out. Um, I think there's just if you think about those huge moments, those the, I just uh, you know um, I think you know I think we saw a call that ba- that balanced things out a little bit this past weekend, but I think uh, you know uh, that's one of the crazy things. I think the refs have been kind of affected by the fact that there's no fans there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely played a, a little bit of a part in whatever madness is going on right now. Um, yeah, just, you know, but every team, every club believes that they'd have more points if their fans were in there. Yeah. 
Although I think there are some clubs that think their manager would already be gone if there were. So um, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. So going, going back, we, we spoke about the terrace and, and obviously the stadium. Is there any future plans for the stadium? Is there either redevelopment, obviously the changing of the terrace, if, if obviously if you want to stay in the championship and further, obviously that will need changing within what now two years, I'm going to believe. Um, uh, then or relocation. Uh, we are doing a full inventory of everything that needs to be fixed, patched up uh, at the stadium. I, you know, and honestly, I love Adams Park. Um, I've always loved English football, old school English yeah. football. And so to me, uh, 10,000, you know, that 10,000 is a, is a pretty good number, I think, for us. Uh, I don't think you could get a better setting visually than oh, Adams Park. Um, I think there are some improvements that we could make to that place to where, and we already have, uh, the digital infrastructure that we put in is going to be, if not the best in England at a sporting event, uh, it will be top 10. It is way up there. Every single person at every match we have will be able to, if you, if every single person next year, if you're on the, the, the Wi-Fi, uh, every single person apparently could watch another match in their hand, like could stream their sky go while they're sitting in the stadium uh, at our match or wow. and track it. Like all of your apps will work. Whatever you want to do in the stadium, you will no longer be glitching out. I'll um, be honest. Um, that was one of my massive bugbears over yes. the years. Uh, uh, lack of signal has been horrendous. Yeah, no, I, dude, uh, I've been going to sporting events for 30 years. Um, I'm well aware of the issues. Let, let me tell you this. One of the reasons we're lo you're lucky, because in the U.S., you, you kind of almost have to give up until this point because you're not talking about 10,000 person crowds you're talking about 60 to 90 to 120 and so uh what 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 people want is uh not easy to pull off and the fact that we have at our stadium um consider yourselves lucky <laughs> I, I i would agree well obviously i haven't I haven't seen it in person yet but Obviously, I've been to the new Tottenham Stadium many of times. Um, and the one bugbear <laughs> at the old White Art Lane was, obviously, everyone would go on their phone at half time. Pointless. Absolutely pointless. You, you, you would have tried to get the half time scores. And by the time you'd got them, the second half had started. So it was like... <laughs> um, so, but here's now... what we're hoping. so here's what we're hoping is that because of this, People will actually, and I, we will get there. It might not be the first match, but we're trying to get to a point where before halftime, before you even show up, you can have your order for halftime ready so that you can pick it up. It's already paid for, and you get to watch the highlights from the other matches instead of waiting in line wow. looking at a glitchy signal. So click and collect. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We But in order to do all of that magic stuff, in order yeah. to do all of the magic stuff that everybody wants, you have to be able to pull down 10,000 people have to be able to go 60 
MBPS. Mm. So think about the the that ain't easy. Not no. <laughs> and multiply that day. So when you go to Spurs Stadium, which is honestly one of the greatest places I've ever been to in my entire life, it's magnificent. But imagine trying to provide the kind of internet speed for 90, yeah. that many people at the type of speed that they expect. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I like the 10,000 person stadium because yeah. we can do it now, you know? Um, whereas but I don't it, think it's scalable to 80, 90,000 maybe yet. No, but is going back to the terrace, is, is that something that you, you guys are looking at? In, are you, because obviously there is restrictions in place. Yeah. 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 We have to. There's time scales, and you already hit a point. Yeah. Three years in a row, you have to do something. Um, so yeah, we're looking at there's you know there's an easy fix. There's a there, yeah there's yeah. options that are pretty easy to present as plans mm. um, that we would need that we could do if absolutely required. Um, okay. But to be completely honest, if we stay in the championship three years in a row, what do you think we're doing with that terrace? You know, we're oh, yeah, we, yeah, well, absolutely. At that, yeah. you know, at that point, we have the it, it just it would justify building an, an entire new end right there mm. uh, that accomplishes a lot of the goals. And one of which is always going to be to have that standing terrace like place, even mm. if it requires there's new standing terrace safe standing, standing yeah yeah which yeah. are brilliant uh, by the way because they're at spurs and i stood in those hey, sections oi, and, and oi. first place to have them in the entire united kingdom yeah adam's park yeah oh well yeah of course in in the in the uh family stand isn't it next to it but yeah no they're they're, they're great there's so much room as well like mm. you know a lot of people think like yeah. you're in tight barriers but it's not there's, there's a lot of room you know still. And this will probably please Delaney and a lot of the guys in the terrace. Uh, with the safe standing terrace seats, we won't need near, nearly as much yellow paint. <laughs> <laughs> yellow paint Delaney. <laughs> um, so what are the plans for the, for the future, Pete? Uh, obviously, I would, I would imagine that Wickham still have by far the lowest budget in the championship. Um, <laughs> no one will ever go lower than this, Richard. No way. No so, way. No, I, I can believe it. So, what you know? What are the plans for the next sort of six months over the summer? Is there anything you can talk about in any sort of improvements or, um, yeah, just things like that? Yeah. Uh, well, we'll talk about the easiest thing, which is obviously the developments you know, sort of the extended squad that we have, um, you know, early on, everybody took kind of the easy way out and said B team, but really realistically what we're looking for are 36 first team, you know, for, for 36 players that are fighting for first team appearances, minutes, uh, you know, just everybody, uh, we just want to have, we want to improve the overall quality where that mm. is what we're doing. And, and, you know, we did it this year. Um, well, I mean, you've only got you to know, look at uh, Anis. I mean, he was signed yeah. as the B team player, you know, let, let's well, be honest. I mean, I, you know, so it's going to be a continuation of that process. So we probably had 
man, it must have been 100 guys roll through that did, try, you know, either very short-term trials or longer-term trials where we looked at them. Um, and it boiled down to, I think we offered five, you know, we've got five or six development contracts. Uh, Annis, you know, Malachi, those guys, um, which made up sort of that. I think we got to maybe... 31 32 combined uh this year and so um next year is going to be a continuation of that process uh where we look to maybe expand the roster just slightly because um we got a little bit more experience in dealing with you know how injuries affect player availability because one of the reasons we need to and have to do this is that in order to build the kind of squad depth that we need to compete uh, both in the league and in the trophies that we're in is to have the kind of depth that we have this year. And in order to keep that depth uh, fresh, we have to be able to do, and we, we ended up calling them Wickham, Wickham 11 um, matches, which is kind of, which is what they used to call them back in the day, you know, mm. like I, I think thirties, forties, you know, if that second team played to get minutes, they called him the Wickham 11. And so we've had quite a few matches this year. Um, we're having one in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's also an opportunity where we bring in trialists that, you know, we've been tracking that have availability. Um, and so we're definitely, uh, Sam Grace has been phenomenal in helping us expand sort of our efforts in that department. Um, so we're definitely going to continue that. We're looking for, uh, you know, uh, and I think what Annis really shows and what the other guys show, because we put a couple of guys out on loan that have done very well and proven themselves um, and the training that we're giving them has been good for them. And they're competing for contracts next year as well and, and extending, you know, and, and all of the development contracts have an option for the, for the team. And so they're currently competing for that option to be kicked in for next year. And so um, I think the best thing that Annis shows is that, our pathway, it is a little different. You know, a typical B team like uh, Brentford has, yeah. you know, completely different training. They've got a ton of guys. Um, I think what our model and what we want to, what Anna shows is there is a real pathway that to first team minutes, if you prove yourself. Mm. Um, and I think because of the, the, the type of guys that we have, around in our coaching staff and and everybody knows the different type of careers that are out there is that uh you see these academies and annis is a perfect example of uh you know the uh, premier league academies the route from their academy to their first team is near to impossible and so uh, to me if to me if i was a kid that's 17 18 and i'm looking okay <laughs> do I want to play 23s for a big club or might I want to take a chance and, you know, play train with the first train with the squad at Wickham and have a legitimate chance. If I prove myself to play minutes in the league, you know, uh, I think a smart player understands that getting minutes uh, at 18, 19, 20 in against men in League Two, League One is a path 
that is imminently more trackable to the Premier League than playing 23s from the time you're 18 to 22. Mm. No, what I, what I was going to say on that is, I mean, I think probably as some Wiccan fans may or may not know, how many games are the, are the Wickham B or Wickham 11 playing yearly? How, how is that an attraction for those players that want to play regularly? Well, it's, it's not enough. And it's why they also have the understanding and why we're willing to invest in them uh, to find them spots where they can play games. And this has been difficult this year, uh, but we still pulled it off with getting our guys – uh, playing regular matches in, um, you know, Aldershot had, or, uh, you know, most of our guys have gone out on loan at different clubs and, and, and played some matches, uh, you know, even, um, I, you know, I think we had a fill in keeper uh, at uh, Beaconsfield, uh, you know, so we've, it's one of the ways that we feel like we can support our local, the local lower league clubs, non-league clubs, um, while also having the ability, you know, the depth that we need considering the health risks. And, you know, Stockdale is a perfect example, man. Mm. Um, we, uh, you know, we, Stevenage was in a spot where we could help them out um, and we didn't jam them. We, you know, we, uh, we because we wanted Stocko to get some starts because there was the risk, you know, Rocky's un, had an unbelievable year, but if he got hurt, you know, we, we mm. it would be better if David had played some matches before he stepped in. And that was just a case of really good timing um, <laughs> in the fact that uh, the, the moment we needed to call Stocko back, uh <laughs> Uh, Stevenage's goalie was just, you know, just ready to start playing again. And so um, it was just, you know, so it's, it's, it was just managing that process between, and it, and it's the reason we needed, we want to com have commitment towards that depth. And so mm -hmm. I guess the answer to your question is yeah, there's probably been 10, 11, 12, second team matches because we don't always publicize them sometimes no, you course. know teams want to come in and and play under the radar um you yeah. know there's one of the more interesting matches was that uh it was one of those um and <laughs> and it's just a mix of getting those guys having the commitment to not holding them back by finding them you know short-term loans that work for them and us while we also put some matches together uh, during the years so we can keep everybody fresh so that when they do earn the right to get minutes in the first 11 or an appearance in the league, they are ready to go. Some, something I wanted to mention as well. So in the past, Wickham have had a very good youth setup. Um, it's produced some fantastic players. Um, is that something you guys will look at as well? So an even younger age group than, than what you've got, you know, with the B team. So potentially yeah. under 18s, that type of thing. 
everything is a function of the kind of turnover we can create for the club because we are mm. very committed to sustainability. And so that said, once you start to look at 18 and under players that, and, and 18 and under academy, uh, it becomes uh, very, very expensive just to start it up. Um, and so, uh, you know, once you go from shutting down an academy and not having one for, for a few years, there are so many um, requirements uh, for safeguarding issues, for educational issues, which are all understandable that yeah. it really, um, you know, uh, it's a function of dollars. Uh, yeah. You know, if we shoved, 50 million pounds into Wickham. Yeah. One of the things that we would do is boot up an academy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but um, that's not our model. And so uh, it's one step at a time. Is there a, is there an instance where like, we'll uh, there's n very little chance we'd just go full bore, full academy. Um, that mm. landscape is very tough, uh, especially in a catchment area like this, where, you have so many big clubs around that you can develop players for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden he's gone at 15. And so the opposite of that is to try to take advantage of how many players are in this catchment area by how many of those kids get flushed out of top level academies that really shouldn't be. Um, but for one reason or another, they are. Um, and so providing a, a slightly different path, to those kids once they turn 18 um, is kind of what we're looking at short term. Uh, you know, would it be nice to have enough, enough players to legitimately put together 2025 Wickham 11 matches every, every year to, in the stadium where we could, yeah. you know, where people were interested in going to watch those. Yeah, man. Um, especially in a nice, cool little stadium like mm. we've got at Adams Park, uh, would be a great revenue generator yeah. for us. Yeah, like a Thursday evening, something like that. Yeah, like, man. The old, like the old days. Yeah, no, I completely get that. Pete, over the summer, can we? Well, hey, look, we'll even take, we'll even, we'll even bring in teams like Tring, Tring, Tring Corinthians, so we, yeah. can, so we, so we can show all our home fans lots of goals on Thursday night. <laughs> Thank you for the plug, Pete. <laughs> We'd be up for that, Pete. We'd be up for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the boys would. <laughs> over the summer, can can the Wickham fans expect to see anything overseas? Because I don't, you know, um, recently this, we actually got on a board call today, uh, and I've been doing a lot of due diligence with Kelly Francis, uh, club secretary on options um it's you know it's just unbelievably difficult to plan um and when you take a rational approach to all things you know it kind of leads you to the decision of uh we're actually going to do a lot of work you know we've got to do a lot of work on the training ground um to make it adequate for a full season next year um so 
I actually probably... meant player-wise, Pete. But... <laughs> oh, player. -wise. I was only going to yeah, well, say then, because. Well, then um... let me say this. I'm glad I answered it talking about you know the pitches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because... Rooster, we're not going to we're not going to sign any players. We're just going to go into next year with you know the 16, 17 we have on a contract. <laughs> <laughs> I only say this because Barnsley have recently signed an American forward on loan from Orlando, Daryl Dyke, and he's he's made quite an impact so far. Um, is that a market that you guys are looking at? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, so I, I played college soccer at Georgetown University, right? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So last year, Daryl played for the University of Virginia. Uh, University of Virginia soccer used to be on the top of the heap in American soccer, right? Last year in the NCAA final, Georgetown University, my school, played against the <laughs> University of Virginia, Daryl School, who he started for. And we beat Daryl. <laughs> but uh, I had been, you know, I watch a lot of college soccer. Um, and I had been, I had seen Virginia play quite a few times. And I actually showed Gareth uh, <laughs> Daryl last year. And, uh, you know, he was like, holy cow, this, you know. And so then he got, Daryl got picked fifth uh, by Orlando in the MLS. Mm -hmm. I think he ended up starting 20, 25, you know, maybe 20 games, uh, scored a bunch of goals. Uh, and, um, and when FIFA came out last year, I think he was the fourth or fifth most powerful player. So, you know, and one of the reasons – I don't show Gareth many players. Up, that was actually one of very few. That's that's his, his job is to point yeah. out the groceries. My job is to help buy them, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, I showed him because, obviously, you know, Gareth likes those big forwards up top. Mm. And so uh, we, we've just been kind of tracking him. And I got to tell you this. Barnsley pulled an ace move. Um, and it is just perfectly indicative of why they're one of my models, our models, uh, why I love those guys. Uh, Dane, the, one of the, the American who's actually lives, uh, it, it lives near Barnsley, um, that runs the club uh, locally, uh, went to the University of Virginia uh, okay. also. And so uh, when I say there's a little bit of a rivalry, you know, basically we were the redheaded stepchild for years because they were <laughs> dominant. They, they were dominant in, in NCAA soccer. Uh, and so, but we beat them last year, you know, so I felt good. To, you know, we're finally, you know, we're finally at the level where everybody wants Georgetown to be. But then this guy, deadline day i see that he signed daryl <laughs> daryl and i'm like holy sh because he i didn't even understand how he was eligible until i saw that he got a 25 minute appearance for the u.s men's national team on friday night before deadline day thursday wow. night oh. maybe friday night and so uh they the, those guys at barnsley are uh no joke uh they are the real money ball guys from baseball. I think that, yeah. I think Billy B, you know, and so that is a perfect example of, uh, I just, the way that he played, it felt like he, he could have an impact in this league and just to see uh, Dane and, and Barnsley pick him up and then for him to have such an impact uh, early on, 
just goes to show, um, and it's something I wholly believe, is that a lot of American players could play in the EFL, especially at the L at the league two league one level. Mm. Uh, And I think it would be good for the English game that they did that. Um, But it is extremely difficult because we have a nation of 350 million people and the work visa requirements. Yeah. uh, The GBE criteria is, you know, it was tight before, but it basically requires you an American player can only get over in, in into England if he gets a U.S. men's national team appearance. And even with, even then, I think Daryl was a special uh, instance because uh, he is only 20 years old. I think he got his cap maybe when he was still 19. And so when you're a when you're a youth player. So if you're an international player and an adult. Uh, your percentage of minutes is based on two years of cumulative U.S. men's national team minutes. If you're a youth player, it's only one year. Mm -hmm. And so in the last year, I think the men's national team in the United States has only played uh, four or five matches, right? And so Daryl got an appearance in one of them, and so it kicked him up an extra category or two maybe. Mm -hmm. And so – uh, it was an, I have an incredible amount of respect for the way that those guys were able to um, get an extremely capable player mm. into their squad in January. Um, and B, uh, yes, we are looking at the United States of America. Do you see any of those rules changing because of Brexit and things like that. Do you see that changing? Um, I hope so, Richard. Uh, to be completely honest, I think there is a very natural partnership between uh, England and the United States. I, I mean, you know, we've been, you know, spe- allies. <laughs> there's, been <a> special, <laughs> there's been a special relationship for, <laughs> for quite some time, you know. Maybe there was a few years there back in the 1700s and 1800s where everything wasn't <laughs> <laughs> Um, But I think there's a natural partnership between and, and between the United States and, and uh, the UK, uh, in particular for commercial interests, especially mm. post Brexit, when there needs to be some some special trading relationships between the two countries. I think. Um, Soccer, football is one of those places where it could be very good for both countries because uh, I think I think more people in the United States of America would be unbelievably interested Mm -hmm. and watch League Two, League One championship football if there were a few if there were more American Mm -hmm. players and essentially at League Two and League One level it is impossible to have an American player. Mm. And so if there are special limitations as to how many you could have, but let me, uh, you know, it's, it's the economies of scale. Um, Soccer football is a huge sport in America. And we have a deep, 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 deep number of people. And any, so any eyeballs you can get on league one and league two, 
are going to lever the kind of revenues that it takes for those 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 clubs to exist in the way that their supporters want them to which just is before, they don't yeah go ahead sorry now just before we, uh, we we keep carrying on this conversation i just wanted to go back slightly to the barnsley method now obviously they use or advocates of the money ball um you know technique what is that something that you would ever consider at wickham what do you mean yeah we do you, money ball yeah, you do I, it already I, I, to be completely honest that was one of the things that attracted me about gareth is that he intrinsically does money ball see when you said about obviously spreadsheets and stuff like that i kind of got on the foot feeling and went well, maybe they already do a variation of it but that yeah that's quite interesting so okay okay yeah 100 percent. yeah 100 percent already exists and I, one of my jobs is to support and help uh expand how we utilize that that's how i grew my last business uh, that the, the business that i founded was and completely and wholly and totally analytics driven for a very real world like business where I had to uh, trans, you know, like invest in mm. property redevelopment. You know, it was just as a weird wetlands mitigation, man. Look it up if you want to find a <laughs> crazy wormhole. Just sorry. Um, what was, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry, Rich. I, I I butted in because I just really wanted to point out the money ball thing because I just I just had that little little feeling. I'm I'm actually really impressed that we are doing so. Or sorry, we are Wickham are actually doing something like that. So now that's well, I just I think I, you know, and 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 I think that's one of the common misperceptions is that uh, to me, money ball takes form in a lot of different ways and. Um, it's actually math, one of my favorite is, films. Is math books. a component? It's like, <laughs> is math a component of it? Yeah. To me, math is a component of everything. And so, yeah. like, one of the biggest, funniest things to me is when somebody jokes about, uh, I don't even know why we took algebra. I'd never use it. Uh, meanwhile, everyone, if they go shopping, they're using on it, mm. you know, knowing how much money they're spending, they use algebra. Uh, so, um, to me, math is a component of everything and it's just Moneyball is trying to take a, a unique approach to information and data and the application yeah. of that data in your specific business, I guess. Uh, let me tell you this. They were and awesome conversations I, that I really honestly um, couldn't believe I was part of really um, considering it was not, you know, um, I couldn't imagine a better partner in that situation than uh, both Gareth and Rob um, because, uh, you know, <laughs> Rob gave us some guidance, uh, let us yammer about it, talk about it, explore it, uh, and didn't micromanage it, um, but um, always asking 
those top level money ball esque type questions mm. about our assumptions. And it was, um, I said, I'd never worked with Rob, but uh, I've worked with my dad for 25 years and believe me, those two apples fall from the same tree. <laughs> so um, it was kind of a continuation of how my dad and I have always approached business, which is um, never be afraid of the tough question. Never be afraid of arguing over the answer uh, as long as you take a very rational approach to whatever resolution, you know, you, you want to decide on and, and game plan you want to take about and, you know, just learn from, if you make mistakes, learn from them. Would you go down the direct to a football route then? If, if you're looking at the money or are doing the money balls, you know, uh, so with this, so one of the, things I like that Gareth likes that everybody likes that uh, I think about the scale is that um, and really it's how Gareth runs it and how I mm. why I want to help him with that is that and and I describe we talked about it one way and I was like it almost sounds like this description there's a guy named Bill Parcells in the NFL who was mm -hmm. one of the great head coaches right and the NFL you know had moved into this situation where there was a head coach and a general manager which the general manager is basically like that director of football, right? Well, Bill Parcells got hired by the New York Giants. Uh, and he told him he would not take the job unless he was head coach and general manager. And the way that he explained it was, if I'm, if I'm the one that has to make dinner, I want to be the one buying the groceries. Mm. And so uh, to me, that's like uh, that's almost exactly how Gareth has 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 kind of run the club um, and his signings, you know. And obviously Andrew and 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 Trevor and and, the, and there's been a lot of support because you have to have somebody else dealing with the agents. It can't be Gareth, but um, we've set up the structure where you know they have their targets and. We buy, you know, we buy the great, he makes the grocery list. We, we buy the, you know, we buy the groceries you and Andrew. It, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully we're, you know, waitress. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been shopping in waitress this year, brother. <laughs> so just on the sort of commercial side, Pete, are you guys looking to, are you looking to expand um, more into the US because you know you've got the whole sort of like global wanderers, worldwide wanderers. Um, is that yeah, a market just, you're yeah, looking to tap just, into? Yeah, not just the US. Um, uh, no, um, we are definitely working the international network. Um, part of the reason we were interested in English football is that I think interest. I, I think interest is massive worldwide and there are these pockets like there are potential for it's not just Wickham Wanderers I think ev there you every single of one of the teams up and down the pyramid could find additional fans especially League One League Two once these fans find out the story of individual clubs um, they naturally you know there's just there's there's always going to be, there's a Wickham in Spain. There's a Wickham in Argentina. There's a Wickham in Mexico. There's, you know, and always, and, and our, I do think we, 
we have an advantage in the fact that we have a tremendous underdog story um, uh, because we are one of the old school amateur clubs that was dragged into professional football, uh, very successful in non-league football. Mm-hmm. Um, and once uh, the club stepped into the football league, has stayed there. Um, so there's a very, um, I think there's a lot of clubs that, that followed similar paths all over the world and all of the different leagues and, and, and countries that are out there. And so, um, yeah, uh, there's a massive, the football market is, is international. Uh, England mm-hmm. is the beginnings of the game. And the clubs here, even the ones that people don't know about, they're interested in. And so, uh, look, it's uh, one of the amazing things to me is um, the growth of this club. Wickham is becoming big in Spain. It's, you know, we have gained so many Mexican supporters. Um, it's not just the U.S. Uh, and uh, you know, although we are penetrating that market deeper and deeper, and we will always, we'll always be looking at it. Um, you know, the world is a big place. It's not just the U.S. And so, um, you know, uh, it's it's been like it's almost been more fun for me to watch our growth in Spain this year than in the U.S. because. The U.S. I expect that sort of thing, you know. We're yeah. we 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 you know the Mardi Gras kit. We 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 did so that we could try to create a greater link to Louisiana, which has a pretty solid history in in yeah. football and soccer as well. Um, and also, one of the reasons we thought Mardi Gras worked is that's not just the Louisiana thing. It it no. is the thing about louisiana that attracts the rest of the united Mm. states to to louisiana you know every i would say 53 yeah probably 25 percent of americans have a story about the time between the ages of 18 and 25 when they went to mardi gras new orleans (laughs) and so um and 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 it's just uh so it's on my bucket list actually uh, it should be it should be. And let me say, let me ask you this. How old are you? I'm 33. Yeah. You better get it done soon because Mardi Gras <laughs> is a young man's game. All right. Okay. <laughs> like when you're old, I had to shift like, early, you know, early in my career, it was, uh, you know, I played, played a part in the young man's game, but New Orleans <laughs> to me is more about music. And so like Mardi Gras to yeah. me is, is it's some of the parades, but it also attracts some of the greatest musical lineups at those venues that you could possibly ever imagine man uh i'm new talking orleans, i saw top... james brown in, oh. during mardi gras in new orleans ah uh, pete what about next year then is there going to be a black and gold away kit yeah love the sound of that uh uh that was a pretty good guess right there no um uh, not the away kit is not going to be, but no, the, um, gold is going to feature, uh, and black is also black, gold and white are all in the mix as far as Pete, what, what, 
what achievements have you guys made so far since taking over uh, off the field? Jesus. Uh, achievements off the field. Um, I would say we are probably going to be the only championship club to turn a profit this year. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. That is very impressive, Pete. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's incredible, actually. In in the current climate we're in as well, you know. I would think, yeah, uh, because as soon as you get above our wage structure, the type of, uh, you know, it's just not many clubs made money in the championship last year, if any. And so when you drop out match day revenues, it's near to impossible, mm. even for the smaller clubs that only are spending, you know, twice as much money as us. Um, I just want to sort of wrap Maybe up. Maybe Rotherham. Maybe Rotherham. I don't know, though, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I'll say this. It's probably going to be one of the top teams that has significant player trade, you know, player turnover. Um, whoever mm. sold big money players. Mm. Um, I, I think this is probably a good question to end it on. Um, and, and you might go into some depth here. At what point do you see the end? Because I think everyone, you know, people aren't naive to know that you, you and Rob, you're not, you're not sort of cash cows. You are investors. Um, so do you see an end game? Um, all I know is I plan for both short-term and long-term. Um, but I also come from a very business perspective of one of the other lessons that my dad taught me was everything is for sale. It's just a function of price. And so am I going to tell you that we would turn down a stupid offer? No. And so, and, and you never know when that kind of thing is, if you're building a business appropriately, uh, people will offer money for your business. And so if we do our job, that pressure will increase. And so um, I've just always been the type of person that's focused on improving a company as much as I can. Um, just understanding that if I do my job correctly, the value will get created. So, um, I, you know, I've been successful enough where I've been to forced, you know, not forced into situations, but basically given an offer I couldn't turn down. So, uh, <laughs> that said, uh, it would be pretty cool to run an English football club forever. Mm. You know, this is a fun, it's not an easy business. Uh, it is an all day, every day, 24, seven, 365 business. Um, so it is not easy, but even during what some people would perceive as one of the toughest years possible, what we're experiencing right now, um, I do feel fortunate enough to have a, a job in the, in a, in a business surrounding a game that I enjoy. Uh, so. Um, That's a top answer, I, that. 
Mm. Answered it well. <laughs> Pete, thank you so very much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, I think this is going to be one of our top episodes. Mm. Uh, you know, um, I know you said you said stuff like, you know, <laughs> this is a lot of content for just me, but believe me, there are hundreds and thousands of fans that will want to hear from uh, top level executives at football clubs because they just don't know the ins and outs and what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and, and you've, you've given us a, a, a fabulous insight into what goes on at a, a championship football club. Um, you know, the, the thing that's most obviously interested me the most is it's been the money ball. Um, uh, you know, it's just something that I was, you know, suspected could, could be in play and to know that it is to a, to a, to a variation is, is yeah, it's brilliant. Um, so thank you so much, Pete. Thank you so much no for problem. coming on. Nice one. Cheers for coming on, Pete. Cheers, Richard. Great to have uh great, you know, it was a fun chat, man. Cheers. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Jamie. I appreciate it, man. Good talk. So that was the end of our, our interview with CFO and COO Pete Kuig of Wickham Wanderers Football Club. Uh, I would like to thank Pete for his time. Um and everything that we spoke to Pete about, you know, we had a we had a great evening chatting football with him and, and everything that was Wickham Wanderers and obviously his career before Wickham and and uh, you know what he does in general life and now his full time role at Wickham Wanderers. What an incredible you know, guest! Yeah, yeah. What an incredible uh, guest. And, I'm fascinated. Uh, one of the things I, I I really wanted to talk, and which is why I, I asked about it a couple of times, was was the whole sort of budget thing. Um, because it has been quite well known that Wickham over the, over the last couple of years, they have been the underdog. They have had the lowest budget in the leagues that they've played in, League Two, League One, even the Championship. So just to talk a bit about the budgets and um, to, then, to then find out that Wickham would probably be the only club in the Championship this season to make profit is incredible. And uh, absolute testament to... Rob, Pete, everyone else involved in in sort of achieving that because because to make money at a football club these days is nigh on impossible. Oh, when I asked the question, you know, I was expecting him to say something like, "Oh, <laughs> electronic advertising boards" or something like that. But to come out with a statement that they're going to make a profit mm. during a pandemic. And in the championship, on a bigger budget, you know, whatever it is. No fans. No fans. It is just incredible. And the, we were gobsmacked. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we do this via a, uh, a, a video platform. And you could just see in our faces, we were like, what? You know, it, it, honestly, I, I couldn't believe it when he said it. Like, it's just unheard of. And um, uh, it's full credit to to Rob, to Pete, uh, Andrew, everyone, obviously, and Mark and involved at Wickham Wanderers to do that. And, and you know, that just, uh, that will give the fans a lot of positivity uh, going forward for the future. Because, you know, if they, can, they know that they're going to be run sustainably 
and to then know that a lot of the players' contracts will be tied down for the future, mm. you know, using the sort of money ball system in their own sort of way. I loved um, it. Yeah, it's brilliant. And if if they can, if they do go down, you know, it is it is likely, you know, barring a miracle, if they can keep that squad together mm. with with Gareth leading them, they've got mm. an excellent chance of coming straight back. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. The the money for money ball thing fascinated me. Uh, yeah, you know, it's no, you know, I said in the the interview that it, you know it's one of my favorite books, one of my favorite films, um, and you know I know a little bit about it, and I just had that sense that Wickham may go down that route, um, and to know that they actually are is, is fascinating, and a lot of football clubs are like your Barnes, Easy Brentfords, and stuff like that. Um, but also, it doesn't surprise me with Gareth to take no. on something like that because no, I agree. Gareth is that kind of person that tries new things, tries to be different in a positive way. Um, and because we don't, uh, because Wickham don't have what other football clubs have in terms of you know infrastructure and and, and uh, money and you know background and stuff like that so sometimes they have to be a bit different and gareth has spoken about that a lot mm. about having to work differently to other football clubs mm. um and yeah i i absolutely love that they've gone down that route um because there is a method behind the madness with moneyball it, it completely yeah. works um brentford a prime example and so barnsley a prime example of it actually working mm. um so yeah no absolutely fascinating yeah Massive thanks to Pete again for coming on. Um, yeah. And until next time, Jambo. Yes, mate. This has been Hitting the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and Richard Kyson.